The message you're about to listen to is a recording from God's favorite house. It is our prayer that you listen, your life will be transformed, and you will be taken to greater heights in your walk with Jesus. Amen. God bless you as you listen to this message. Good morning, everybody. Say good morning to your neighbor with a smile this morning. With a big fat smile. <laughs> okay, so as as we all are aware, um, we have very someone very 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 special <laughs> here with us today. And um, before I bring her up, you know, um, I'm going to ask that um, we um, show a video, um, um, that by one minute video. That tells us a little bit about her and I'll bring her up to minister the word of God. Let's have the video. You must first flourish by the understanding of the word of God. Because God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. The word is Christ. That is why when the word went forth, it could recreate. Pastor Nkoyorapo is a woman of diverse interests and skills. She is a lawyer by training. She's also a poet, songwriter, and author. She is a pastor and a seasoned teacher of the word with a strong prophetic unction. Pastor Nkoyo is a trustee of the Freedom Foundation, an umbrella organization of four non-governmental agencies, pioneering information and rehabilitation among disadvantaged communities, particularly in Lagos, Nigeria. She also serves on the board of elders of the House of Freedom, an evangelical movement of churches including this present house. She is married to Dr. Tony Rappu and is the mother of three children. In the past 25 years, Pastor Okoyo has worked alongside her husband as co-pastor of several churches, both locally and internationally. We welcome Pastor Okoyo to God's favorite house. Let's put our hands together for the Lord as we welcome Pastor Nkoyo Rapu to God's very house. God bless you. Let's keep clapping, let's keep clapping, let's keep clapping, let's keep clapping, let's keep clapping. Let's keep clapping, let's keep clapping, let's keep clapping, let's keep clapping. Hallelujah. Clap your hands, oh ye people. Shout to the Lord with a voice of triumph. You may be seated. Stay with me. What a joy to be here this morning. I said to Pastor Femi, I'm actually enjoying being in this church. And just being away from responsibility and just knowing that the service here is running without your having to think. Isn't that wonderful? So that's why I wanted to be here from the beginning. It's so nice to be with God's people, and it's always a privilege to share his word. Now, just sitting there, I was, you know, the choir is really good. And 
But I tell you something, the choir people, especially the ladies, they give me palpitations because of their shoes. <laughs> so when I look, and luckily the lady who was, one of them had like canvas shoes on, so I thought, oh, she's comfortable. And the, the gentleman who led the praise and worship was so energetic, I kept thinking, I'm going to catch him before he falls down. <laughs> ah, hallelujah. In the presence of God, there's fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. I want to thank Pastor Femi and his wife, Pastor Dami, for just the opportunity to be here. The last time I came here was an in-law's birthday. And the roads were not even tired. It just shows how much development goes on right before us. And um, so I see a lot of change, and that's remarkable. So well done, sir. And because no leader is an island, I want to also thank and commend the other pastors and leaders here. Because, yes, because... I know what it's like to be in the ministry. We've, by the grace, really grace, amazing grace of God, we've done it for almost 30 years. So my husband and I always laugh and say, if God didn't send you to be a pastor, don't try it. It's a, a, a difficult but rewarding task. That's why Jesus said, my burden is light and my yoke is easy. It's still a burden. It's still a yoke. But when you are in him and flowing in the stream of his life, it becomes light and it becomes easy. All right. So we are going to worship God with one more song. I like worship. Worship presents everything to God and says, but for you, we wouldn't be here. In you, we live and move and have our being. So when you come to church, come with expectation because he's here. And he's not here when the preacher starts to preach. He's here because you are here. Because he says, when two or three of you come together in my name, there I am in the midst of you. So we want you to always be expectant from the moment you step in because it's a gathering unto him. This church is also family because my, my sister, her husband, and some of our in-laws all worship here. All right. The song is... Open the floodgates of heaven, let it When we sing this song, expect the floodgates to open. Because he says, in the last days, I'll pour my spirit on all flesh. And we expect you to, to we expect God's spirit to be poured out because behold, darkness covers the earth. And gross darkness, it's people. But we will arise. And I like that scripture because it first says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. He addresses us as light before the darkness comes. 
So when we sing open the floodgates, expect a manifestation in your lives like it was in the upper room. So would you rise with me as we worship him? Open the floodgates of heaven. Let 
Father, we thank you for the floodgates that are opened over the nation, over the church, over God's favorite house, over every life and family represented here. Be glorified, Lord God of Israel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you very much. I shall take you home with me. Amen. When I was coming this morning, my husband said to me, he said, where are you going? And I told him before, so it's either he forgot or it was a good moment for conversation. I said, I'm going to Pastor Femi Monehi's church. He said, oh, it's after elections. You have to have something, a word. <laughs> now there's been so much about elections rumors and counter rumors from politicians from prophets false and real and there's a cacophony of voices in the atmosphere but you know god's god's kingdom will keep advancing and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church but more important than the election is the constancy of god's kingdom and i will show you two scriptures where in spite of, nevertheless, we keep moving on because it's more about his kingdom being established in the nations of the earth. And that establishing of God's kingdom comes from his people and churches like this. So Acts chapter 1 verse 6 to 8, could you put that on the screen for me? And it's the NLT version. Okay. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And what is this power for? You will become my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is constant, that God wants us to be witnesses all over the world, beginning from our families, our churches, our environment, our institutions, our organizations, everywhere you find yourself. We are an occupational army. So it doesn't matter. Of course, where elections are important, but you, the disciples were asking Jesus here because the Romans were everywhere and it was a fierce kingdom. And Jesus was going away. They'd seen him die on the cross. He resurrected. And they probably imagined he was going to be there to solve all the problems because that's the kind of Messiah they were expecting. But it was a different kind of kingdom. So while they asked Jesus for answers to their immediate need in their immediate locality, Jesus pointed them to the constant feature of the kingdom. Winning souls for Christ. Expanding the kingdom. 
bringing people in. He says, don't worry about what is in the Father's hand, for that's taken care of. But you need the Holy Spirit so that you can be authentic personalities of what Christ, of who Christ is to a dark world. Another scripture I want you to look at is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. NLT, no, no, give me that one in the New King James, please. Therefore, I exhort you first, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good, and this is the acceptable thing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Keep going. Next verse, please. Next verse, please. Can you give me the next verse, please? Okay. Uh-huh. For there is only one God and one... I'm looking for the one where it says, Who will preach if they are not... How would they hear if they are not told? Is that the one? Is it Romans? Oh, I missed that. So that's the scripture I'm looking for. I had Timothy here. But anyhow... This would also suffice to make the point. The one in Romans talks about if God wants people saved, how would they hear if people are not sent? And then, you know, we pray and intercede when the elections come or are close. But God wants us to stay in that constant place of intercession and ministering the gospel to everybody. Now, our text for today is actually taken from 2 Kings Chapter 5, verse 1 to 19. Don't get bored with reading the word of God. And sometimes in church, we may expect only five verses to be read. No, today we are going to read 19 verses because I want to take highlights from a story I have titled, The Master, the Maid, and the Prophet. And it's taken from 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1 to 19. And that's where the message for this morning is taken from. Are you here with me? Very good. So, Second Kings, I could paraphrase, but I want you to get the importance of what the scripture presents. The king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman. Naaman was the commander of his army because through Naaman, the Lord had given Aram great victories or Syria great victories but though Naaman was a mighty warrior he suffered from leprosy at this time the Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid one day the girl said to her mistress I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria he would heal him of his leprosy. 
So Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. Go and visit the prophet, the king of Aram told him. I will send a letter of introduction for you so that you can take it to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying as gifts 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter to the king of Israel said, With this letter, I present my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, This man sends me a leper to heal. Am I God that I can give life and take it away? I can see that this king is just trying to pick another fight with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me and he will learn that there is a true prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of leprosy. But Naaman became angry and stopped away. He thought he was certainly, he was, he thought he would certainly come out to me. I thought, beg your pardon, he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Around the rivers of Damascus and Abana and the Papa River, better than any of the rivers of Israel. Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in a rage. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply, Go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River, dipped himself seven times. I want you to notice seven times. It comes up twice. As the man of God had instructed him, so he did. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young, young child's, and he was healed. Then Naaman and his entire party went back to find the man of God. They stood before him, and Naaman said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from my servant. But Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept your gifts. And though Naaman urged him to take the gift, Elisha refused. Then Naaman said, all right, but please allow me to load two mules of earth from this place and I will take it back with me. From now on, I will sacrifice, etc. We'll stop there. Now, in this story, there are three main characters I want to highlight today. Naaman, the master, the maid who saved his life, and the prophet. So Naaman was a Syrian general, as the story tells us. He was very powerful. He was greatly admired. He was a commander. He was a mighty warrior. He was a gallant fighter. And he was highly reputed in Syria. He had won many great victories for Syria, but Naaman had leprosy. 
I like the but in Naaman's life. It reminds me of our lives sometimes. Naaman outwardly was very prosperous. Outwardly, he was a celebration of every party and people toasted to him. He was an unbeliever. But when Naaman went home, he was sad, he was miserable, he was frustrated, he was lonely, he was depressed, he was sick, he was afflicted. Sometimes Naaman was lonely and even suicidal. So the Naaman who appeared in his office was, Naaman had two personalities. The person who appeared in the office was different from the person at home. The whole of Naaman's household knew that there was a problem. Because the master would dress up very well and appear in public. But when he went home and he took off his clothes, it was becoming a very desperate situation. Naaman was generous outside, but he was not generous at home. Naaman was happy outside, but he was not happy at home. One day, suddenly, without warning, life happened to Naaman. And his whole life was falling like a pack of cards. Have you ever been there before? I have. Naaman would go out, but when he came back, he would lock himself in the room and he would cry. Naaman looked prosperous outside, but inside he was in debt. He was healthy in body, but sick in his mind. Then he became unhealthy also in his body. He was gaily dressed outside. Now, Naaman could be anybody sitting here. But at home, he was shabbily dressed. He was kind and affectionate to the people outside, but at home, they knew him to be a violent man. He was a Christian in church, but they said at work, Naaman was not quite Christian. Now, Naaman is, by general reference, to all of us Christians. What is your but? It is that but that God wants to touch this morning. It is the very disqualification that is a qualification for God's glory. When the woman by the well came, the woman of Samaria came to the well to meet Jesus. She was known to have five husbands and the sixth one she was living with was not her husband. So she had an incredible CV even for Elizabeth Taylor's standard. And she didn't want to come out. She wanted to hide. She came to the well only when there was nobody at the well. But you know, because her story was very interesting... And Jesus knew that she would be the best evangelist to Samaria. He was waiting there because the Lord is a wise investor. So as a child of God, there is no pain you'll go through that cannot be redeemed. There is no, there is no tragedy that cannot result in triumph. I don't understand why God does it. But it's in the moments of our perplexity and dismay that human beings can actually receive more from God. It's in that place of sober reflection that he's able to pull us closer to him. 
He says in Hosea, I think, I will allure you into the wilderness where I, I will speak peaceably to you. And after we go through this wilderness, you will no longer call me master, but you will call me husband. So don't be, today I want to encourage you, don't be frightened about the wilderness. Because in that wilderness is actually the blessing of a closer relationship. And he gives you the assurance, he says, there is no temptation such has come your way that is not common to all human beings. But I will not allow you to be tested beyond your endurance. And even in that place of trial, I would give you a way of escape. That brings me to personality number two here, the maid. Naaman's situation was very distressing, but it's, it's the very platform for God's miracle. So today I ask you, what is your but? What is it that plagues you? What is it you're distressed about? What is your Red Sea situation? What is your Wall of Jericho situation? What is your widow of Zarephath's distress? What is it that you're going through that defies human solution? What is it that is beyond comprehension and resolution? What is it that your ability cannot handle? Your skill cannot handle? Your professionalism cannot handle? That's exactly where God wants to meet you. He wants to go beyond your wisdom your strengths, your, your philosophy. And that's why we have confidence that Nigeria can only rise because we've reached that place. So in your life, before I go to the next character, bow with me for a minute. I want you to bring that impossible situation to God. And I'm standing with your pastors and joining you in faith. Ask him for that impossible thing to be resolved as we pray. And you will come back and give a testimony. Lord God Almighty, creator of the ends of the earth, eternal God, our Father, the I am that I am, the one who does the impossible. I pray that today you will grant everyone and every family represented here in, and including those watching online, that you will grant them the desire of their heart and be according to your perfect will for them. I pray that you will do what they can't do and do what even we cannot petition you to do for them. As you have opened the heavens today, look upon us all with mercy as we bring our petitions before you. In Jesus' name we pray. The next person is the maid. I like this young girl. You know, the Syrians had done, they had raids going into Israel. They would raid Israel and bring out the best. And you know, one of the, on one of the raids, and Naaman being a chief officer, commander in the army, he must have picked the, the slaves that he wanted, probably before anybody else. So this slave girl finds herself in Naaman's household 
as a maid to his, his uh, wife. And she notices that there is a big problem in the house. The problem defies all the magicians in Syria. The king is distressed because Naaman is his general. And by, many, by Naaman's hands had many victories been wrought. So it was a distressing situation. Everybody in the household was talking about it. People would visit Naaman and they would talk about it. Everybody came like they came to the home of Job to profess solutions. So one day, are you still here? Very good. So we're talking about the maid. So she looked and she listened and she heard even the whispers. So one day she summoned up the courage and went to her, her mistress and said, I know a prophet in Israel who can solve this problem. When I looked at her life, she's got a lot of qualities that I would like to emulate. This was a slave girl. She was a captive of war. She had no rights, no privileges. She was in a strange land, a strange religion, on familiar territory. She had every reason to be bitter and angry. But she knew who she was. She was like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it shows that king, kingship, dominion, authority doesn't reside with people because they have means. It resides in all of us because we are covenant children of God. Whether you are a housemaid or a mechanic or a doctor or a lawyer, it really doesn't make any difference to God. Because each person, God said to Jeremiah, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. I already ordained you, sanctified, separated, and consecrated you to carry my glory. So everybody sitting here is a carrier of God's glory. And a carrier of his destiny and purpose. The slave girl understood it. Daniel understood it. Nehemiah understood it. That's why Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. But he was dissatisfied. Daniel was entitled to pleasures in Babylon. And food for feasting. But he maintained a diet that kept him kingdom oriented. This made a slave outside, but a king and a priest inside. She was confident in God. You know, she had every reason to be bitter with God. Many times when we are going through very difficult circumstances, the enemy wants us to be bitter against God. Don't be. I pray that no matter what life throws up, we would always hold on to God. It's like a marriage. Christ and the church says nothing will separate you. Nothing ought to separate you from me, from the knowledge of God. This maid understood covenant. She was courageous. She was confident enough to dare to give advice to a general's wife. She was wise. 
She must have approached the woman wisely. She was compassionate. This was the same Naaman whose raids had brought her from, violently snatched her from her mother, her father, her tribe, her people, her religion. But she was compassionate. And she was involved in the household where she had found herself. The maid was caring. She was a good testimony. That's why the mistress could listen to her. If she was miserable, a gossip, causing confusion in her office, in the institution, in her estate, or at home, nobody would have listened to her. She was a godly person. She had the real peace, power, and prosperity. So she went up and dared to tell Naaman that the prophet in Israel could heal him. God had planted the maid in Naaman's household to glorify himself. Because remember, the Israelites were subject to the Syrians. That's why Elisha was very angry with Gehazi and said, this is not the time to collect money. It's about the contest of the gods against God. I want to ask you, what is your perspective this morning? What do you see? The maid didn't see shackles and chains. She saw liberty. Even where she was, her perspective was different. That's why she could reach out. Can you and I rise up and be greater than our circumstances? That's why I like the testimonies you shared. Especially the testimony of Ayuba. Not because the other ones are not powerful. They all are. But Ayuba was a gate man. He represents to me what we can become beyond wherever we find ourselves. As children of God, we must constantly migrate. Never settle where you are. There's always more. Have you ever wondered why the angels keep going holy, holy, holy from eternity to eternity? They haven't finished discovering the attributes of God. And you are created in his image. You carry his DNA. A Christ in you. The hope of glory. No matter who you are. No matter what the circumstances of your birth may be. You are greater. You know a lot of times people will say, Oh, my family, they've told us we don't marry before 49 or 40. Oh, we, everybody dies in the family before they are 50. No. That's because you don't understand the power. We don't. To the extent that God will want us to understand the power and his blood covenant. And that you are a carrier of his glory. And that glory is the weight of who he is. Even if your family has a covenant or curse, it's not, it's not for you. Because God dwells in you. That's for another day. The last person we want to talk about is the prophet, Elijah. Elisha. Elijah and Elisha remind me of each other. And it's not unusual because Elijah was Elisha's mentor. So I noticed something about Elisha. 
Elisha always likes to give commands, instructions. Gehazi, go take this, go and raise the Shunammite's son. And Naaman has come, tell him to go and wash in the Jordan. I call Elisha an executive prophet, if there's ever one. And then I call Elijah a do-it-yourself prophet. Elijah supervised the killings of 850 uh, prophets of Jezebel, 400 for Baal, I think 450 for Asherah. Elijah went with the, um, the widow of Zarephath's son, went to her son and laid himself on the boy, bread to bread, etc. Elijah was always doing. He was always the performer. And then he went up in a chariot of fire. So everything about Elijah was dramatic. And that was good. But here comes Elisha. Maybe Elisha, sometimes I think Elisha was lazy. So he'd seen this prophet always doing it himself. He saw, that's why he ended up under the juniper tree. He was exhausted. And finally ran away from Jezebel. And then when the angels came and fed him, they said, get up, eat and drink. Because there's still a journey ahead for, for you. So I think when Elisha saw him, when it was time for him to depart, what do you want, Elisha? I, I just want double what you have, so I won't stress. <laughs> double. Okay. There's something good with the two prophets. Elijah reminds me of Martha. Elisha reminds me of Mary. Martha didn't commit a crime by what she did. She loved the Lord so much, she wanted to do everything for him. And the everything she knew was to be a good hostess. And that's good. And Mary reminds me of Elisha. Well, we will just choose to sit down at his feet and hear about him and his power. Which one was easier? <laughs> Mary. Mary was easier. She didn't stress at all. So, but there is a Mary and Martha dimension in all of us, and I think it's the balance. You may ask me, how do we know how to balance the Mary and the Martha in us? So, the Mary should be higher always than the Martha. So, Martha was doing something good. It was beneficial and it was valuable for the kingdom. But she neglected the sit-down bit at his feet. So this scripture I've shared with you today, I'm just pulling out nuggets. Because normally on Sundays, a lot of us pastors, we're not able to share, take, teach a scripture. We leave it till Wednesday. But now in our church, we found that people were not coming on Wednesday. So we decided we may as well take time to read the stories and the scriptures we learned and continue to learn and draw out nuggets that will still bless the people. So back to Martha. Martha, I think what Martha should have done was if Mary was spending five hours with the Lord, she should have spent three 
and then gone off to still do because somebody needed to cook. That's why I said the Elishas and Marys may have a little laziness in them. So that's the balance we want in our lives. And look at the difference. Elijah ends up burnt out under the tree, but Elisha's bones raised the dead. So one way to look at it was, maybe Elisha should have done more and left his body and bones dry of anointing. But since he died and the body raised the dead, I like to look at it from the fact that he had so much of that double portion that when they brought a dead man, the raiders had um, brought a dead, they were running in when they saw raiders, I think that's the way story, and dumped the dead man on Elisha's grave. The man got up. If you look at the story of Mary and Martha, when Lazarus died, Mary handled it better than Martha. If you read the account, Mary went to the Lord and it was Mary who provoked a response from the Lord. I want to end on this note. God wants us to, as we begin to head towards the year in fuller measure, you know, now February, we're going into March. God wants us to go into the year knowing him more. Spending more time with him. We pastors cannot follow you home. It is really what you know that keeps you in a crisis or in life's challenging moments. He wants you to keep your merry dimension higher. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. You can do nothing except you're plugged into me. And that's about fellowship and prayer. And it's not the prayer we say in church alone. That's very good. But it's the prayer that you, you do in your personal quiet place in God. If you have, some people say we are very busy. We leave for work at 5 a.m. And I really sympathize. But I've also had, I have occasion when I also have to leave very early. But that's not supposed to stop our fellowship with God. A lady shared something with me yesterday. She said if she has to leave early and because she wants to extend her prayer hours, when she's ironing, she's taken the responsibility of ironing in her house. And she's a married woman with children. Says because the ironing keeps her awake when she wakes up to pray. And with the ironing, she does one hour without realizing it. So we just have to find what keeps us in his presence. And there's so much with technology. Isn't it amazing how we can spend a lot of time on our gadgets. And the, the gadgets are very valuable because now we are spreading a lot of positive information. I'd like to know that it's positive we are spreading amongst ourselves at the click of a button. But there also is a lot of distraction. The first thing we tend to reach out for 
is the telephone. The alarm is even on the telephone. But God wants us to draw. Do you know that the more you spend in his presence, the easier life is. Who can raise a teenager now without God's help? Are you going to follow them everywhere? You follow them in their, with their phones? No. But let me tell you how it works. The more we stay in there, you can become more sensitive. And God in his faithfulness will lead you. He will tell you when there's a red light, when there's yellow, when there's green. And you can always ask him, Lord, don't let anything fall on my blind spot. For the sovereign Lord will allow nothing except he reveals it to his friends, the prophets. He may choose to not reveal. He's done one or two things and he didn't tell me. So nobody has a prerogative. But then I can testify that he's done much more that he revealed to me in advance. Stand up with me and let us pray. Would you come with me? Be magnified, O Lord. You are to who are, who have a root of bitterness in their hearts by virtue of just circumstances that you've been through and what people have done to offend you remember I said the maid could have she had every good reason to be offended and to be bitter but the root of bitterness is not even good for your body your soul or your spirit so I want you to just Ask God for the grace to release those people. 
no matter how painful, you don't have to do it on your own. Ask the Holy Spirit to come and give you the grace. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. So let the Holy Spirit bring a soothing balm of God's love into your heart. And if you're here and what you need to ask for is a uh, come, what you need is to come into a deeper level of fellowship with God. I want you to ask him to put a hunger and a thirst in, his, in, your, in your heart for him, for his word. Ask him to make prayer and fellowship with him exciting to you. Should take you and let your water level move from ankle to knee to waist to shoulder and you'll be completely submerged in his glory, his presence and his power Father we thank you thank you for honoring your word thank you because we do not come with enticing words of men's wisdom but we come with the Holy Spirit and his power and the unfailing power of God's presence. Let your presence make a difference to everyone here, in every heart and in every spirit, and even healing of our minds, that we may come through the shackles that hold us down and be free just as we sang, freedom, freedom. To know the truth of your word is freedom. Your word is light. Your word is Christ. And the entrance of your word gives understanding, light, and understanding. Thank you because your word is spirit and it is life. And it will not return to you void, but it would accomplish that which you have purposed in everyone's life here. To the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's keep clapping. 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 Let's keep clapping.